You are listening to Uncomfortable, comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. Hello and welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable. My name is Debbie Roach and in this episode I have a conversation with Mo Sibyl about immigrating to the United States from Nigeria. Now before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention that Uncomfortable is an independent podcast and needs your support. You can sign up to be a monthly patron and pledge as little as $2 per month. Visit uncomfortable.blog forward slash donate for more information. If you're a small business that aligns with our values, then reach out to us about sponsorship opportunities. You can email us at hello at uncomfortable.blog. And hey, if you can't financially support us, then that's absolutely okay. Just keep listening and consider giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Now, let me tell you a little bit about my guest. Mo Sibyl is a Nigerian-born, US-educated, Korean-speaking, struggling intellectual. And that's her words, not mine. Mo moved to the US nine years ago to pursue the next steps in her education and her career. In this episode, she opens up and shares a few of the lessons that she learned when she immigrated. Now, Mo also hosts the More Sybil podcast, a podcast about culture and cultural nomads designed for blacks and Asians and those who love them. So make sure you check that out and the link to the podcast is in the show notes. I hope that you enjoy our conversation but as always, little warning, there is some strong language, so make sure to pop on those headphones. This podcast was recorded and produced in Vancouver, BC. The land on which I work is the unceded, shared traditional territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Mo, thanks so much for joining me on Uncomfortable and uh, having hopefully a comfortable conversation, but uh, I'm really excited to have you. Thank you, Debbie. I am excited to be here as well. And I love your podcast. I have listened to a couple of episodes and it's a thrill for me to be here with you today. So thank you very much. Thank you. I have checked out yours too. And I'm only partly through the one that you posted yesterday, uh, the the woman who's a sex educator, which I was very excited about. (laughs) I'm like, I'm listening. So uh, I'm excited to to finish that off. Um, Yeah. So before we, you know, jump into the questions, let's make sure we plug your podcast just that uh, I'm sure we won't forget but uh, <laughs> your podcast is the more Sybil podcast and I'll spell your last name so people have that s-i-b-y-l and it's on your website which is mo m-o Sybil s-i-b-y-l dot com which you have lots of great information and blog posts and everything on thank there you. thank you thank and you yes Yes, it's, so it's called the More Civil Podcast, and it's saying you're gonna get more out of me, More Civil, and it's a show for Blacks and Asians and those who love them, and it's a platform about culture against the backdrop of important issues like identity, acculturation, preserving cultural values, exploring that same same but different concepts 
within and, and, and between Africans and Asians and African-Americans and Asian-Americans, and of course, those who love them, which can be anyone. And as a podcast host, I believe in sharing stories and processes to connect humanity. And one of the biggest thing I'm all about is cultural curiosity. The podcast is available across several platforms for podcasts. Pretty much anywhere you can legally get podcasts on. So Apple, Spotify, Teacher, Podbean. And yes, that's my podcast. Awesome. I will, of course, post links to your podcast in the show notes so that people can uh, can listen and subscribe. Hit the subscribe button, people. Um, so it's an amazing concept. Tell us, like, what was the inspiration behind starting it? I grew up as a child in Nigeria. So it, we, I grew up after a military, well, we had military suppression then. But you know, as a child, you don't remember that you were under a dictatorship because all you just remember is mom and dad and going to school and playing with your friends. And so radio was a particular, was a medium that was quite accessible to everybody, even the poor and the old and the rich. And it was one that everybody used a lot. And I loved my dad's transistor radio. I One of the things I really loved to listen to was OAPs, like on-air personalities, just talking about life stuff. And I, I would always want to call in and give my little, you know, piece of advice. And I love music. I love... I love the ability that you can hear voices. You, you want to imagine what they look like and they're talking about stuff. And the radio gave way into podcasting for me. When I moved into the U.S., to the U.S. like nine years ago, and I found out about podcasting, I was like, well, there's a podcast for every pod, for every topic out there. And I never for the life of me thought that one day I was going to have my podcast. If you had told me then, I'd be like, shut the front door. No, that's never happening. Like, what do I have to say? Like, no, how dare you, you know, even tell me that? But, you know, being a fan girl and having consumed more than my body reading podcast, I think it was really my friends. They they started this bad idea. I mean, they're like, more you like to talk a lot. Not not in a kind of bad way, but like you have a thing for just asking questions and what they want to talk about. And my friends, you know, they think I'm a somewhat of a decent listener. And I think one of the beauty about being in the U.S. was the, the, the excitement for a culture curious person like me. Like I grew up reading a lot of books and books was that form of escapism for me to kind of travel many uh, around the world without having to like, you know, leave because my parents were in that world to do to like, you know, make us travel for holidays and all that kind of stuff. And so when I grew up, when I came to the US and I started encountering people from the cultures that I had read about in my encyclopedias, I was like, oh, I know that fun fact about your country. How did you know that? I'm like, I just know because I always spent my time reading. And so coming to the US was very exciting for me. And like, it was like a buffet shop of, you know, of culture where, you know, you could have this one day and have another that day. And in talking to a lot of people that were not like me, I realized that there was so much we had in common than separate us. But if you look at us just, you know, by our skin color, we just tend to like generalize people. So really that was what came up with my podcast. And I'll sincerely let you know that it started as a pet project to just get people that I that I thought were interested in my life. And so a lot of my audience, my first few audience were my friends that I had to, you have to be on the show. And I use them a lot. And it has since, since you know, um, I think the biggest hit I had was um, Alexis Ohanian, the co-founder of Reddit, writing a story about him. And so that has really helped me a lot to be able to knock on doors I normally wouldn't go because I still have a bit of shy element to me. My friends would never agree with that. But I, I like that with podcasts, you have this access to the world to kind of explore stories, especially those that you're not comfortable exploring. I, I love that. There's like so many things there that um I totally relate to just hearing other people's stories opening. And the thing I love about the medium of podcasting, and I know people are kind of getting like, everybody has a podcast. I know. It's kind of true. 
Everyone yeah. had a dog. <laughs> I know it's like my freaking dog has a podcast. It's but it has, I think, opened up a platform to people who firstly wouldn't ever have thought they would be on radio or didn't have access to kind of a job in radio um, and in smaller communities that are maybe more remote, being able to have a way to kind of just talk about their lives or talk about their hobbies or whatever it is and connect with people from all over the world. And it's just, you know, it's fantastic. I also... um kind of love that you used encyclopedias when you were a kid because so did I and sometimes you know when I see one I laugh but <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia anything exactly exactly you know if you don't get it on Wikipedia it doesn't exist yeah I, I read Wikipedia a lot and this was before the internet and so I remember when I had the opportunity to download Encarta, which was a Microsoft CD software, and it had like it was an encyclopedia with a lot of fun facts. It blew my mind, you know. <laughs> this was way back when we had Windows Me and XP. Yeah, I was that kid that read a lot, and I got in trouble a lot because I would use big words and you know ask questions people didn't think a, a small child should be able to ask about. So like, I didn't care; I just wanted answers to these questions. <laughs> I was that child. <laughs> That's a, that's a great child to be. Honestly, we need more of those children. <laughs> I'm curious to know what actually brought you to the US. Like you, you moved nine years ago. What was the decision behind that? Um, simply put, I came here to advance my degree. So I have a pharmacy background and um, I had gotten to that point in my career where, you know, I had a very good job working with Chevron as, a, as one of the staff pharmacists, but it was, it was a perfect situation. I was earning a lot of money for someone that was out of school fresh out of school, but I, I wanted someone to challenge me more. So I quit that and then I moved to um, a rural part of Nigeria, Ibadan to be specifically, to be specific, where I was taking care of patients with HIV and tuberculosis. And it was there that I realized that I was very arrogant as a pharmacist. Like I was, you know, I, I could tell my patients how to use their medications and all that, but I really didn't understand about the socioeconomic aspect of adherence. That's right that I was coming from a very wealthy population to a rural population where they weren't very well to do. And so that frustration drove me to grad school because I needed to know more about patient behavior. And so, yeah, that was what brought me to the U.S. And I thought to myself, you know, to get to be the best, I have to get, I have to go where the best, you know, really go. And really that was the U.S. then. And so I came, I came here for grad school. I was at the University of Texas at Austin, got my PhD in health economics and outcomes research. And nine years later, we're here making life for ourselves. That's amazing. That's amazing. Are you, you're not still in Texas, are you? No, no. I'm away from Texas now. No longer in Kansas, Dorothy. I'm in Oklahoma now where I'm making life for myself. So I work here in Oklahoma. Fun, fun. I've never been there. Never been to Texas. My partner's dad lives in Texas. So I'm hoping once COVID is over and it's safe to be anywhere, really, we can we yeah. can visit him. But uh, yeah, not right Find now. Find yeah. there. You will love it. <laughs> Yeah, oh, my boyfriend's been in and raves about Texas, so I'm excited <laughs> for when that chance comes, hopefully soon. So yeah. your transition to the US, tell me, like, I'm sure you, like, learned so much. This is a big question, but what's been, like, the biggest lessons for you in terms of, you know, culture? Was it a culture shock? It really was. So another thing I forgot to mention is when our country opened up a little bit, we had that massive importation of all things American, you know, and to be associated with any American um, export was a sign, was an index of, of good living or wealth as a whole. And so there was a bone of 
American media, American TV shows, and just Friends was one of my first introductions to American media, and I still love it till today. And there was an office, and you know, there's some super prize way back then as well. And so I kind of had this idea about what America should be like. I thought it was very homogeneous, and people were all nice. You know, the mailman could come in front of your house, you had you deliver to your front door, and everybody held hands and you know, walked down the street with the street lights and you know, coming on. That was my idea of America. And then moving here, I was in for a shock because one, People were not as, you know, that cut cut as I thought. And I thought, whereas I thought America was just one distinct culture. And my idea of America was just really white people. And I saw the blacks as just the inconvenience, like the people you have to get rid of in the movie to kind of make the white people win. And mm-hmm. so, which, you know, looking at it right now, what was I thinking? Like, I'm black. I should be able to, you know, <laughs> think differently. But it wasn't until I moved here I realized that, wow, <laughs> you know, and being in school, school is a different kind of bubble because you don't tend to mix around with people that are not from school. So I would say, you know, that I would put that as a disclaimer. But I think the biggest thing was just how really isolating the society here is. Now, I we say so much about my culture. So I'm Nigerian, but I'm also Yoruba, which is a tribe in Nigeria. And there's, there's just this collectivism in a way. There's, it's, it's, we're so socially together. Take for example, if my neighbor hasn't seen me in days, they can knock on the door like, we haven't seen you, are you okay? And we live in communal settings. And even though things are getting a bit more industrialized and people are trying to like break away from that mode, but that is a lot of good for us. So when you hear about that African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child, no, that was literal. Like, you know, we had neighbors who could come pick up from school. My neighbors could like spank me if I did something wrong. And my mom would, you know, bake them a pie. Well, not like pie in the sense of the word, but thank them for spanking me, you know, because everyone took collective responsibility in training a child. And so coming here where people were so individualistic, that really broke me. And coming here in my 20s, having to start over again, start building my social network. And it wasn't like from high school, it was like grad school, which was totally different. So yes, that, that, the movies lied basically and it was also after the recession of 2008 so things weren't quite good economically so yeah that was my biggest shock it was just how distinctly distinctly different the movies you know portrayed american than what i saw yeah hollywood i mean is just bullshit let's you know say it like i want my back (laughs) i know i know it's like Get me my money and my dream back. Like, what the hell? It's yeah, it's so true. You just have this vision. I mean, I grew up in in Scotland and um, a smallish town, and same thing. Like, we would watch the American TV shows that would be on Friends, or I think there was Dawson's Creek and all that kind of stuff. And especially all the teeny teenager type ones, and yeah. you just have this vision of what life was like, and it's just so far from the truth. Have you? ever regretted your move i tend to do things without regrets and and i think that's one of the greatest lessons i've learned you know growing up as a child i always feel like no matter no matter how difficult the path you chose that's your path like you have to forsake everything else like opportunity cost now i've had a lot of challenges moving here you know having to like start life all over again but i don't have any regrets if anything i am able to make life what I wanted to be, and even the the sad things I've gone through or the, the down times I've had, I just think it like it's part of the experience. You know, good things can happen to you all the time. But I really, really love that you know we're willing to find community here because we are very big on community, and I think 
it was my way of just trying to replicate what I had in Nigeria, you know, through my community of friends, family, and, you know, the religious institution I was a part of. So yes, no regrets. I, I'm, I'm glad I did the move when I did. And I think if I had to do it again, I would do it over again. Awesome. No, it's a, it's a great way to look at it. And like, how have you managed to kind of rebuild your community? What did you have to do to do that? Because that's tough, right? That's tough when you're starting from scratch. It is really tough. And I don't know if you know a lot about Nigeria, but I felt like I had to become like that perfect role model as an Nigerian because everything everybody knew about my country was, you know, internet frosters. And then we had like a lot of, we still have some instability in the North, like bombs. So it was very stressful. It was a stressful time being Nigerian. And of course, like if you, the way history has always been told has always been from the standpoint of the victor, right? And they tend to write the stories. So America was always the you know, greatest country on earth. And when you start looking at your country relative to, those, to America, it's like your country is nothing. And I learned a lot about my country when I came to the US that I knew about my country when I was in the US, especially how we are viewed by other people. And so that really was very, I didn't, I, nobody warned me about that. And I felt like there were so many stereotypes that were thrown out my way. And I think little by little, I found my, my people. And a lot of people that I'm really close to today, I call them the international people. Now, they're not necessarily people that grew up in other countries, but people that have a love for international people. One of the, and I say this, you know, um, very generalistic, and I, I try to avoid general statement. That said, I find that Americans, you know, they can be friendly, but they don't really necessarily make great friends. And whether it is, I don't know, it could be like a cultural thing, but the way we do it back home, like friends, we talk about things just beyond the weather. Like people just say things to you. They might not necessarily be nice about it, but we don't like mince words. So the whole, you know, trying to be politically correct about stuff or mincing words or not saying as it is, like it took me a while to get adjusted to that. And I think I'm slowly losing my Nigerianness. So that was very difficult. And, and, and just, like we, we show up for people in need back home and we do it with such such intentionality that sometimes it falls short here and it's like, uh, and sometimes when you're doing it to other people, it feels like you're coming on too strong, like, oh, back up, like, you know. And so it's been very difficult to kind of balance and manage my expectations. But I found my people, even though we had to leave Texas after living there for about six, seven years and start in Oklahoma again, I just told myself, at this rate, I can live anywhere. Just throw me anywhere and throw me anywhere in the middle of the world. I'll find a way for me to make it happen. Because once, the moment I operated myself from Nigeria, I lost my roots in a way. I mean, home is so different for me now. Even when I do get to go home, it doesn't feel like it. It's just like an imagination that I concocted because home has changed. Everyone has moved. People are different and different walks of life. But yes, um, it took a while to build that. But I found my people, people that are genuine because I'm big about relationship and I'm big about community. I believe you shouldn't do life alone. And so the people that I found to you know, cover me and you know, be there for me when I need them to be and when people that I can be there for are people who understand just that concept of neither being here nor there. So international people or those who understand international people, those are my favorite kind of people. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I mean, I haven't traveled too much, but um, when I moved here, I I just find that once you kind of make friends, even if they move on, because they were also not from here, there's still a connection. That's like it. even right like if you bumped into someone who you knew in Texas and you bumped into them a couple of years later, you still bond um and I do love that about being able to kind of move and you become more resilient and you just become a lot better at kind of 
build rebuilding a community which i mean is a great asset to have um so I'm assuming just, you know, and you've talked a little bit about the inspiration behind your podcast and that your community is mostly like international people who have come from somewhere else and they live in the States or maybe they're studying like in the States. And from those conversations that you've had and from your own experience, what do you think is the biggest issue that actually faces immigrants? And I know you could speak more to like the US than I'm in Canada, but uh, like what do you think is the biggest issues? Uh, that's a very good question, Debbie. Um, from my experience, if I were to con- condense all of the issues into one important one, I think it's going to be stereotypes. And I think they go both ways as well. And I gave an example earlier on about how growing up, the movies I saw were depicting whites in a certain way and blacks in a not-so-good way. And so coming to the U.S. and learning a lot about history and of slavery and, and just a lot of the disparity gaps in income, education, and, you know, placements in society, it really made me think a lot because I didn't really, I didn't grow up, you know, hearing all of that. I only heard the narrative from a different standpoint. And so in talking to people, I think that when we see people, we we hear where they're from, there's already something we think about them, not from what they've told us about themselves, but probably something we heard from the news or we watch, you know, in the movies. And I think that a lot of us, the, the danger here is that, I mean, while having biases, because I still hold I still hold biases against people, and the only difference is that I'm able to acknowledge it and unlearn and relearn some things. But I feel like a lot of us are in the danger of ignoring the biases we have. We just think, oh, I was right about this person because, say, for example, an Indian did something to you one time in your life. You just think, oh, all Indians are like that. And, and I think we run at that danger of, looking at people from whatever expressions we had and we're just, you know, just juxtaposing it on them. And I always say that countries are countries, people are people. And in sitting down with people and talking to them, even when you don't agree with, you find out that at the end of the day, we all want to be loved. We all want to feel like we belong somewhere. And it's one of the reasons I'm really thankful for my podcast. Even though I call it a podcast for Blacks and Asians, there's also people who love them. They don't either identify as Black as Asians, but I've been able to explore stories that I'm not even comfortable talking about. Like I grew up in a very conservative household, and Nigeria as a whole is, as a whole is still a little bit you know, conservative. But I've been able to talk about taboo topics because I've learned that the silence we mask around these issues, it will make them bigger. So yes, I think stereotypes, and they do go both ways, but I think that in listening and sitting down and exploring, and so I'm, I'm big on cultural curiosity, let's stop, Let's not stop asking questions. And while we're still doing that, make sure you sit with yourself and acknowledge your bias, because that might be just the, I think in just solving that problem of acknowledging our bias and bringing out of the table, creating a space to explore those kind of issues, I think it's gonna make the world a better place. Yeah, no, I love that. And again, you know, podcasts, such an awesome thing, including yours and so many out there where you hear different stories of people from different cultures and their experiences um, can kind of help you overcome that bias as well. Like, is there anything else you've kind of done when, you know, you feel like, oh God, I'm stereotyping someone because of something? Like when you feel that pop up in your head, what do you do like mentally to kind of try and push it out or oh i say it i admit it like like right because i find i just calling myself out for the little reductive sob that i am i think there's just something about it where i learn more because once you open almost like that secret you've kept inside of you once you add out it doesn't become a big deal anymore 
and I, and I'm guilty of so many things. Like, and I feel like I still have a lot of work to be done in my heart about just not looking at people just based on what I've heard about them. And and I think unless you've gone through a lot of stereotyping, you really don't know how pervasive this issue is. And I talked about just being Nigerian and just how stressful it was for me at a particular point in my life, especially when Nigeria was big in you know in American news and they weren't necessarily for the you know good things. And I had to feel like I had to be this model minority. You know, actually I'm a PhD student, actually I'm a pharmacist, I'm I'm not gonna swindle you of your money, I'm just here to make friends. And so the pressure that mounts on you, like my country, people in my country, we have good people, we have bad people, the same way anywhere in the world. Why should my country be different from your country? You know, so uh, yeah, it, it's 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 something that I'm still learning to at least acknowledge what I hold against other people from different places. But in having conversations and, and hearing the thread, the commonality, you know, that we all want to be loved, like, and, and find ways to communicate that love. It might be different from how I'm communicating, but at the end of the day, we all want to be loved. And, and I think that's a, a very strong message to pass across to people. Definitely. No, no. I love that. I love that. Um, so like, what have you done to maintain some of your cultural values? You talk about obviously in your community in Nigeria, it's all very close knit. Everyone looks after one another and that's kind of been very different from your experience in the US. So what kind of like steps have you taken to try and stay true to, to your kind of home country values? <laughs> um, let me just make a little bit of a declaration here. It's not always that positive as far as my culture is concerned, if you've been loved by Nigerian, you can you have to understand that it can be sometimes quite smothering. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Don't let it play like la la la, you know, walking around skies with rainbows and all that. But, um, so and, and I believe that every culture is the same way. There are good things to pick to be learned from it, there are you know, bad things to be learned from it. And I saw oh, another fun fact about me is I I speak Korean and um I have considered Korea as my second adopted country in addition to the US. So learning a little bit about the differences and similarities that helped me appreciate my culture better and other cultures. So one of the things I do is I, I love getting people together. You know, because we are like that. We love to throw parties. If you know anything about my, my tribe, the Yoruba tribes, they call us the party years. Like we we can if if a twelve year old gives birth, which is kinda wrong because that's like teenage pregnancy, we can throw like a whole party and block the whole streets. That's our stereotype. Now I don't I don't do like parties, parties per se, but I love to cook and I love to explore culture through food. I can mix ingredients together. So before COVID hit, I used to have people around my table. I have this large brown table in my living room. And I'll just make a meal and we'll just talk about stuff. I had students, because I'm plugged in in student communities where I serve as an American resident, where I, I adopt a student for a semester, a student in two for the semester, and I take them around Oklahoma City. I'm like their parents here in a way to kind of explore the American culture. So we talk about stuff. We we explore through food. Another thing is just showing up when you're needed to show up. I think that's one of the things I learned about being Nigerian is your word should be your bond. And what else? Love for family. Like we are so we we have that. There's always that deep respect. I pay for elders, and I still tell people, um, thirty something years old. If my parents, I'm I'm married. I have a husband who, you know, if you think about the hierarchy of things, he is the head of the house. If my parents wanted me, my butt to come home tomorrow, I have to be home. It, it, there's that pull factor. Yeah. So um, there's that love for family. There's also that love of friends and people that you care about and you wanting people around you to win, you know, so some of, some of things that I'm really, you know, um, excited. And also love for life. Like I have such a huge love for life that 
I feel like every day I wake up, there has to be something I have to do to just, you know, acknowledge that, oh, I, I'm alive today and I can do something. And I think I get that a lot from not just my family, but also my culture, like that vibrancy for life and enjoying it to the fullest. Yeah, yeah. And it comes across in your podcast, ah. too. When you have a conversation yeah. with people, you're very passionate, which is awesome and fun <laughs> to listen to. Um, and I think that makes people comfortable in order to kind of open up, especially if you're interviewing someone. So, um, you know, it's 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 a wonderful thing. What have you been doing during COVID to, to kind of stay connected with your community? Because, yeah, you can't really see people in person anyway. And I'm going to just say this, that I know that COVID has really been hard for some people. So I'm going to acknowledge that and not just try to mourn about my first world problems. But I really did miss traveling because I, I, I used to travel like at least once a month, like hop on the plane, local trips, international trips. And that was one of the ways of connecting with people and doing my work. But when COVID hit and we had to stay at home, I would say that it was very difficult for me to adjust. I had cabin fever like nothing else. But as time went on, I, I'm someone that, you know, Give me a little bit of time. I would adjust whatever climate I'm put into. But I've been able to find good use for it. I, I was able to get some of my papers out and finally learned how to ride a bike after how many years of, you know, being scared of it and trying to get my big butt on the bike. Um, and also learning to love those that I'm with. I tend to take for granted those that are within my sight because it's always that pining for the unknown, like for the world out there. So case in point, I feel like my relationship with my husband really got better during COVID because, you know, there was no escaping anymore. I couldn't like get on the plane and fly away. <laughs> so yeah, that really did wonder for our marriage. And, and just, you know, knowing that there was that also that bit of shadow for it because it was everybody in this together. So like that collective misery and like, oh, you can travel as well. And now you can sit your butt at home. And also acknowledge that a lot of people lost so many people. And so no matter how bad you think it was for you, it could have been worse for somebody. So you have to be very careful not to complain too much around those that have you know, lost a lot. But yes, um, I, I learned to slow down. And I think that was a gift for me because I wasn't that kind of person. I would push my body to the, 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 the most horrible limits that I would literally have to be hospitalized on some, like I've had some hospitalizations where it took like, you know, just sedating me and just making me calm down for me to calm down because I just didn't know how to rest otherwise. But just knowing how to rest and let, knowing that I have nothing within my control, I think that was one of the biggest lessons. And so everything else just flowed from there. And I think I'm going to miss not being able to work from home anymore once it's all clears up. But so far I have adjusted and I'm, I'm thankful for all the good and bad, you know, parts yeah. of this. Yeah, and we have to really be grateful for the technology that we have access to so we can still have conversations, you know, with people and the fact that, you know, we we have that is fantastic. I mean, if we didn't, it would have been a heck of a lot harder for I me. Agree. I agree. Yeah. Imagine when I was writing letters. How did you do it the Spanish flu? I don't know how. Now I, I don't have to explain what Zoom means to my grandmother. Like, that's a big deal. Like Because everybody now knows Zoom. Yeah. Before it was just a tool for podcasters and, you know, weird people when everybody's on Zoom. So <laughs> I know, I know. I kind of wish I had invested in Zoom prior to COVID if we really <laughs> known, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah, they are raking it in, and uh, yeah, it has been a great, a really great tool. And um, yeah, I mean, I always had to do virtual calls with my family anyway, but we did get my grandparents on a Skype call, which yeah, yeah. was interesting. So, <laughs> but I'm so glad I could do it, right? So. 
what advice would you have for um, someone who, you know, like yourself at a young age is thinking of immigrating to the US, whether it's for studies or for travel or for fun or for love, whatever the reason is, um, but are really kind of anxious about leaving the the kind of little social hub that they have. It's hard to leave family and friends, right? It's really difficult. So what kind of advice would you give to them? Oh, that's a good question. And before I give that advice, I I, need, I think I need to be very um honest about another thing that I forgot to mention is the push and pull factors of people coming from a developing country to a developed country. So my country has to has a lot of gains to be made as far as economic development. And so there's been that massive, you know, migration of um exodus rather of skilled people, of educated people trying to seek greener pastures, you know, elsewhere. So like America, Canada, and so when I say America, that's redundant. The US, Canada, and then UK become the top, and Australia become the top four countries, a lot of Nigerians are moving to. And so there's that erosion of the middle class. And so for me, coming to the US was a way to get better and set myself ahead. So I think one of the biggest advice I'll give is know your whys. I knew being successful wasn't just something I had to prove to somebody. I wanted to do it for my parents who sacrificed a lot for me. Like I grew up, my parents, I wouldn't call them poor or rich. They just had enough to go around. They were the first people in their family to go to college. So there was no intergenerational wealth to, to fall back on. And so everything they had, which, you know, there's a stereotype in my tribe is we tend to party a lot. Sometimes we party the, the children's school fees away. My parents barely had anything for themselves. They put myself and my siblings into private schools and expensive schools. And I think that foundation that laid for us in education has what has sustained me today. So I felt like I owed it to them to be a better version and to be able to get to that point where I could you know, get that financial freedom to be able to help my family. So know your whys. I think it's very important. So whether you're coming from love or for just you know curiosity, know your whys. And even knowing your whys, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be smooth sailing. You know, it was very difficult for us to, you know, get into the US. I remember when I was in grad school for the four or five years I was in grad school, my husband and I lived on my stipend. It wasn't even a salary. I was paid a stipend. It was just enough to cover the rent and whatever was left. And if we had to travel, we had to take turns like getting on a plane to go see families because we couldn't afford to do that. And but when we were in Nigeria, we had I mean I was a pharmacist as a doctor. So we weren't like doing bad on the economic scale. But moving to the U.S. where the currency of my country compared to the U.S. currency, you know, paled a lot. Like the inflation rates are not that couldn't even compare. So even when our parents sent us money, it, it did nothing, you know. So you have hard times. But not that should, it doesn't mean that you won't have hard times if you stay back in whatever your country is. I know that at the end of the day, it's going to be worth it. But keep believing in yourself. Keep believing in your wives and find people that can help support your dream. I would never call myself a self-made person. I got here because people believed in me. You know, even the people that, um, as a black person, I shouldn't trust, like a lot of white people. And I feel like if we tend to like exclude ourselves from people because we feel like, oh, they're gonna be racist and all that, we might be at a disadvantage. I feel like people with power, there's a way we can connect ourselves with them. So when we get the powers, but we don't leave the door shut, we leave it open for those that are coming behind us. So I say this to say that even from the enemies, I've heard, I've learned a lot and I've, I've had people like open the door for me and pull out a chair for me. And so for all these opportunities through grad school, even getting my job and thriving in my job, I owe it to a lot of people who helped me and saw something in me. So yes, um, it's gonna be worth it, but you might have a lot of rough times. There was a time I was I was chronically depressed because 
things were just alien to me here. There was no social support. My families were like miles away, thousands of miles away. And it was just very hard adjusting. And I'm I'm quite a go- happy-go-lucky person. I can live anywhere, but it was difficult for me at a point. But, you know, it's going to get better. And don't ever give up. And keep asking yourself, why did you do this in the first place? Because you need to hold on to that reason when, when the more waters get murky and when things don't seem like the way you imagine it to be. And please find yourself people who can support your dream. Like, don't live life alone. We talk about the U.S. being such an isolating country, but there are people who really want to connect. So don't be a stranger. Find people that really love and care about you and plug yourself into those communities. There are many communities I'm a part of. I do Toastmasters, so I'm part of that. I am into Korean people, so I have a, a Korean community. So I go where I can find the love. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm tired of hanging out with my Nigerian crew. I'm going to go hang out with my Korean crew. And that's how I just make you know life happen for me. And I think it makes your heart really go around so that people really care about you. And the same way you can find your ways to express your love to them as well oh that's beautiful that's it's so hard feeling and i i used to do toastmasters myself and i such a great community (laughs) (laughs) it's i know it's i'm not counting your ums and ahs don't worry i'm just telling me it's not debbie what a host (laughs) i should have warned you i have my timing flags The red, the green, yellow, and red one. I know, I know. You know, I I left a while ago because life got busy, but it's something, it's just always still on my radar. Like, I need to go back. And I did always notice that it was such a great place for, um, there was often a lot of international students would come and they would visit our group. We were a morning group, so not everybody wanted to come because it was like 7 a.m. or something we started. I know, it was a bit crazy. But uh, there was lots of international students because there's a lot of students come to uh, Vancouver to do um, to learn English so it was a great way for them to learn English as well um, but it was just such a great community of people and I think that's a, a great recommendation for folks to just to learn uh, to meet people and and just find a nice community but yeah finding those groups is, is awesome. I agree it's very positive every time I travel around I always try to stop by Toastmasters club around me and just going as a first-time guest they're always very welcoming and i've been to several of them very always welcoming so highly recommended for those that feel like they're isolated find yourself a nearest toastmasters club around you and get plugged in love it love it that's awesome i know well hey if i ever visit uh oklahoma maybe um i'll <laughs> stop by <laughs> i know i know I, I really need to get back to it um i have one question for you have you ever lived because you said you, you speak korean have you lived or spent some time in korea no, not yet. We're supposed to actually go in June with my Korean sister and her boyfriend, but then COVID happened, so we had to cancel our flights and get our coupons back. But no, I haven't been there yet. Oh, I was just curious. And what prompted you to, to learn Korean? Cultural curiosity. I I, I, I was embedded in, the, in my, my exploration around the culture started three years from learning the language. And before then, I had learned a bit of French. I, could, I was quite fluent at it, but I don't really speak it anymore, so I'm losing it. But with, with French, I didn't have that excitement about culture. And I think French was a low-hanging fruit for me because surrounding my country are so many Francophone countries. And so it was really offered in school. It wasn't something I chose. It was something that I, you know, okay, let's just do French as an elective. So for seven years of my actually, no, almost 10 years of my life, I spent learning French. I've only started learning Korean in three years, and I speak way more Korean than I've ever spoken French. And I think it was just the interest, the, the, sameness, the same thing but difference that I see between my culture and Korean culture, and also how, you know, 
it's a country that is so interesting if you were to learn more about their economic development and how they just rose from like that phoenix phoenix rise from the ashes and what they are doing right now with the Hollywood waves spreading across the world i think it's something that is so inspirational like I a, a movie has to be done about just how they they rose from being a country nobody wanted to go to uh, even want to share anything about to where they are today so yes and of course the movies the dramas um the history really excites me and the language is so beautiful to learn it's 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 romantic to me and when i hear it i get excited i could spot a korean from a mile away i might not be able to tell other people from asian countries but i could tell the korean from a mile. there's a way i want to say this very creepy thing when i see a nigerian i can smell a nigerian like there's one about the blood I can do that with a Korean, not like, you know, smelling them, but there's a way I can spot a Korean from a crowd. And when I hear the language, it gets me excited. I don't know why. Awesome. It's like you have that that sense, a sort of sick sense that someone is um, Korean <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't believe in reincarnation just because, but my Korean friends think, they, they really think that Korean. They tell me, you know so much about our country, we don't even know half of what you know. Because I, I, when, when I get obsessed about something, which I think, Korean has been Korean culture has been a long running obsession. I think it's more than an obsession because after a while you get tired of it. But every day I have been learning Korean for the past three years. Every day I never miss it. I learn Korean every day, and now I even teach it. You know, basic Korean. So it's 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 just more than a passing interest to me. I I felt like I found a second culture to like adopt, and it really makes my heart glad. Oh, that's awesome. That's it's like. It's pretty amazing that I don't speak any other languages. I'm super ashamed of that. Um, so I'm always in awe when people have learned at least one other language because I really need to do that um, one day. It's I challenge you, Debbie. I think you you should pick a language. There's always a language for you. There's so many benefits of learning a language. Like the, almost like the universe opens up to you, and because when you're growing up learning your language, like whatever mother tongue you speak, which I think is Scottish English or English. You don't remember yourself babbling through words. You just woke up one day and you were speaking. That's probably how you remember yourself, except when people around you tell you, oh, you used to pronounce that particular word funny. With Korea, I became a Korean, I became a child again. And like the world became different. Like, like I don't know how to explain it. I, the same things I would see got me excited because I had to remember how to say those words in Korean. And I would babble and make a lot of mistakes and sound stupid. But seeing this adult me who has done a lot with her life, trying to go back in time, something cute about it Debbie. so oh. i really want to you try it and of course there's so many effects you know of language learning it steals away cognitive decline as you grow older because your brain using certain parts of your brain it's going to be very difficult usually for a lot of people but i highly recommend it just do it for the heck of it i know i should my my partner um is iranian and he speaks farsi so oh, all i've all i've learned is a chai kai, which means would you like a cup of tea because i That's really like tea. Uh, that'll get you that'll get you anywhere <laughs> That's all you need to know <laughs> so I'm work, I'll slowly work on that but you have definitely inspired me um, Mo it's been so wonderful chatting to you I could talk to you forever you're just uh, so much fun and incredibly knowledgeable uh, I highly you. recommend your podcast to our listeners so please uh, folks listening check out uh, the More Sybil podcast of course I'll post all the links thank you again for your time this has been wonderful 
thank you so much for tuning in and listening my friends make sure to listen and subscribe to Mo's podcast the more Sybil podcast you'll find it on all of the major podcast players you can of course head over to her website mosybil.com and that's m-o-s-i-b-y-l.com and the link is in the show notes you can also follow Mo over on Instagram at Mo Sybil. You can find this little podcast by visiting uncomfortable.blog or heading over to social media. We are at uncomfortable.blog on Facebook and Instagram and uncomfy underscore podcast on Twitter. Thank you again, my friends, for listening. Now go out there and get uncomfortable. Uncomfortable.